In these last moments of Golos, our level of trust in Hashem moves to a completely different experience as described in this week's Haftarah. We know the halacha tells us that the haftarah that we read following the parasha is supposed to reflect the content or the theme of the parasha. And typically, it's somehow linked or similar to the conclusion of the parasha. Let's look at ours. The connection between the haftarah of Balak and the parasha seems to be very obvious because because the Haftarah speaks about the fact that the Ebesha says to the Jewish people, Ami, my nation, please remember what it is that Balak, the king of Moab, tried to hatch as a strategy against you, and how Bilam responded to him, which is, of course, the theme and the content of Parashas Balak. Simple link. Let's look deeper than the simple. I will move on. Self-understood, especially when we consider what we well know, that actually there was a time in history we couldn't read the parasha, so the haftarah was meant to replace the entire reading either of the Shabbos or the Yom Tev. So therefore, you're not going to just find one pasuk in the haftarah and say, this is the part that links us to the parasha. Instead, the overarching theme of the haftarah will reflect that of the parasha. So what is the overarching theme over here? Where do you find the overarching theme of something right at the beginning? So move on. It's therefore understood. Therefore, there has to be a link between the beginning of the Haftarah, because that represents the theme of the whole Haftarah. And what is the beginning of the Haftarah? That the remnants of the Jewish people will be amongst many nations. And they won't look with anticipation to humans and they won't rely on the children of men. That, which is the opening to and therefore encapsulates the whole theme of the Haftarah, has to be linked to the parasha of Balak generally and specifically to the end of the parasha. Because as we have already identified, the Haftarah very often links to the end of the parasha. So what is the Haftarah telling us and how does it link to the parasha and specifically to the end of the parasha? What's the theme? The setting of the Haftarah is that it describes what's going to happen right at the beginning of the process of Gula. In other words, It's not describing the period where the Gula is already cemented with a definite Mashiach. After Mashiach has concluded all the wars that he has to wage, as the Rambam describes, or as Yeshayo tells us that he has now converted the whole world to serve Hashem with a single focus and single language. Shaharei, how do we know that that's not yet where we are in the Haftarah? Because the Haftarah actually describes some of the battles that will continue between the Jews and other nations. It says the remnant of the Jewish people will be amongst many nations, like the, the conflict between a, a lion and other animals of the, of the wild. There's going to be this uh, piercing and this r- ripping. In other words, there's still aggression and violence, which represents war. So it's clearly not yet the time of full-blown geula. And besides that, not only does the Haftarah describe that there'll still be external conflict that the Jews will have to face with other nations, but more importantly, 
But it actually describes internal turmoil and internal conflict within the Jewish people, as the Pasuk says. That Hashem says, I will cut off the the kshafim, the, the sorcery from your hands, and I will cut down your, your statues or idols, and I will destroy your Asherah trees. That's internal Jewish issues. The way the after describes it, that negative that will exist within the Jewish camp will be so compelling that the Jews won't be able to free themselves of this spiritual threat on their own. They'll need Hashem's help. As the Pasuk says, Hashem says, I'll cut it off and I'll chop down. Why would that be? Because as we've already identified, the Haftar is speaking to that period of history where the Geula is beginning to unfold. And therefore, it's the period wherein all the last final preparations for full-blown Geula are playing out. Okay, so the Haftar's theme is on the brink of Geula. And our parasha Bolok also describes a similar time period, which is on the brink of the Jews about to enter Eretz Yisrael for the very first time. They're already there. They're on the, on the edge in the plains of Moyav on the side of the Yarden River that they're going to cross in order to enter Eretz Yisrael. Muchonim lihikonis l'Eretz Yisrael, absolutely ready to enter Eretz Yisrael, which is bedugmas haknis l'Eretz Yisrael, begulo hasida, which is very similar to, obviously, how it's going to be when we're just about ready to enter the period of Gula with Mashiach. And especially when you consider something that we've that we know from many sources, that had the Jews not done certain things against what Hashem had wanted, that could have actually been the Gula and Mashiach could have come right there. So what's the connection? The parasha, and specifically the end of the parasha, speak about just before going into Eretz Yisrael, and the Aftarah speaks about just as you're going into the time of Gula, and therefore there's a connection, and the connection is about how do you prepare in those last moments to be ready for the full Geula. The Haftarah describes what that preparation is. Right at the beginning of the Haftarah, how do you prepare for Mashiach? We don't put our trust in people, and we don't anticipate the assistance of humans. Even though we're talking about a time period where it's not yet the full Geula. The way that the Jewish people will behave and should behave at that time is The Jewish people will not have to rely on anybody to assist them. Not even to rely on their fellow Jews for assistance. As the Pasuk famously says, Cursed or woe to the person who puts their trust in Adam, which is not just a generic term for human beings, but rather as the Gemara tells us, It's a unique title reserved for the Jewish people. So in the time just before Mashiach, not only will we not rely on other nations, we won't even have to rely on our fellow Jews. We'll place all of our trust and dependence solely on Hashem, 
As the other famous pasuk says, Baruch HaGever HaShiftach Bashem. Blessed is the person who trusts in Hashem. So we know we're describing the period just before the full-blown Geulah. What's the headspace? The attitude that we as Jewish people should and can and are capable of having absolute trust in Hashem without outsourcing to anyone, even our fellow Jews. And so, seeing as we're talking about the beginning stage of the time of Geula, move on, it helps us to understand when the Pasuk tells us that we won't put our trust in people. The Pasuk over here is not just saying that we won't behave in a way that the Torah would forbid in any kind of trust that is contrary to Torah. That's where the Pasuk says somebody is cursed for having that kind of trust, misplaced trust. Here we're talking about that even if the Torah would support under different circumstances this kind of trust, this kind of reliance, specifically in the period just before Mashiach, that kind of trust that would have been acceptable through the whole of history is no longer acceptable. It's no longer the way that we should behave. And this is, of course, relevant to us living at this time in history. So to understand this, let's understand generally the question about how much trust do we put in Hashem and how much personal effort do we put into any situation. We know the Pasuk tells us that Hashem will bless you in everything that you do. And the Sifri highlights part of that Pasuk that you might have thought without this Pasuk that you could just sit back passively and wait for Hashem to bless you. Therefore the Torah says, no, you have to be proactive and Hashem will bless what you do. In other words, Hashem is saying we are supposed to be proactive. We are supposed to create the channels through which Hashem's brachas could reach us. And we're not allowed to sit back and wait for miracles to happen in our lives. And seeing as part of how we create those channels for brocha mean that sometimes we have to, have to employ the services of other people and rely on them. And sometimes we even have to rely on non-Jewish people. That tells you clearly that the Torah allows us in the appropriate way to rely on people. You go to a doctor, you, you ask somebody to invest in your business. Try to sell your wares, you, you, you advertise. And that is no contradiction to the fact that the Torah says, cursed is somebody who trusts in people. Because the headspace is, when a person creates a channel for brocha through natural means, it's not that the person now trusts that nature has power and distributes brocha, that we actually rely on those people or systems independently. We trust Hashem. We trust that Hashem will deliver our brochas through this protocol, which is that we have to create the appropriate channels. That's normal, that's acceptable through the whole of history. And that's what's going to change and what's so surprising about living on the eve of Geula. That what was previously acceptable, create channels through which Hashem will deliver the brocha, and those channels should be natural, that actually becomes no longer re- relevant. Let's look again at the Pasuk right at the beginning of the Torah that says, that in that time it will be, that our brochas will come like dew. 
And dew is shein baloylam alidei adam. Nobody causes dew to form. And nobody davens for dew because dew is not reliant on our prayers, unlike rain. Likewise, in the period as we are on the brink of Mashiach, we're not supposed to rely on any system or any person outside of Hashem himself directly, not even through the kalim that through the whole of history were the way to channel our brochus. And this is Al-Derech Bir that you can understand this when you, <coughs> when you explore how Hasidus explains Baposuk, the Pasuk that says, It is better to trust in Hashem rather than to trust in people. Move on. It's a very unusual expression. It's better to trust in Hashem than in people. Surely it should say, only trust in Hashem. The language indicates, move on, that there is an appropriate way to trust in people. And it is a means by which a person could conduct their life acceptably according to Torah. But there's a better way, which is to have absolute trust in Hashem. So how does Hasidus explain this? We don't mean that you should, that it is acceptable to trust humans in the conventional way. The word Adam over here refers to Adam Ha'elion, which is a dimension of Hashem's energy called the energy of Hashem that is distributed appropriately to each level of existence according to its needs. If you're working through that calibrated energy where greater people receive greater brocha and lesser people lesser brocha, then then a person has to create the environment within which the appropriate brocha can be delivered. That's Miptoyah Bodam. But you know it's even better than that? To trust Hashem directly, meaning the dimension of divine energy that is completely beyond any consideration of larger or smaller kalim, greater effort or lesser effort, higher or lower spiritual standing. Because when you plug into Sovev Kololmin, you don't have to scurry around trying to create channels of uh, of natural means. As the Pasuk says, Hashem will not only provide for you, but He'll provide the keli as well. So likewise, throughout the whole of history, we could happily follow the means of creating natural resources and then ask Hashem to bless those resources with success. But in the eve of Geula, that's got to go out the window. Now it's Toiv Lachsois Hashem. Absolute reliance on Hashem alone. Now, let's understand how that works because that might make it sound like now the whole natural order is no longer relevant. That's not the case. The ultimate purpose is not that we should cease the natural order. Get rid of it. Discard it. To the contrary, the ultimate is we want to refine and elevate, promote the natural order our ultimate goal is to reveal to ourselves and by extension to the whole world that the natural order is not independent of Hashem or an interference to Hashem, but it's one with Hashem. 
And therefore, from that we can refer back to our conversation. When it says, in the time prior to Mashiach coming, we will no longer rely on people, which represents the entire natural order. The goal and objective of that is, It's not that nature should no longer play any role in our lives. Rather, in the time of Erev HaGeulah, The goal is that nature should be so absolutely synthesized with godliness that you, cannot, you can no longer see it as nature. Through the same processes that through all of history we saw a natural conduit for divine brocha, now we'll just see divine brocha. Now, that might seem a little abstract for us. So, to explain it, we have to first just consider that we know that we're expected to create channels and create kalim in our service of Hashem and in, in our work and health, etc., etc. So, there are two possible ways of how that could occur. And once we analyze those two possible ways, it will help us to understand what's going to change in the time of Mashiach. Salaf, the first most conventional approach is even when a person recognizes that the natural order doesn't have any, any independent power. But to borrow the expression of our sages, nature is nothing more than a tool in the hand of the practitioner, the axe in the hand of the woodchopper. Nevertheless, a person would think because Hashem told me I should make Akeli, I should go to work, I should look after my health, I should watch what I eat, I should exercise, I should engage with people and create political connections because I have to create the Kalim. So therefore, the person would think, the natural order has some value, can't be completely disregarded. Not because nature has value in and of itself, but because the Ebrish just said we have to engage the natural order, therefore that surely lends some weight and some value to the natural order. So one perspective is, if Hashem feels this is important, it must be important. Totally different attitude. Why does the person go to work? Why does the person exercise? Why does the person create political connections? Only because Hashem said so. The natural processes are completely irrelevant, of no consequence. I'm doing this because they just said so. The only value that this person sees in the natural order is a means to fulfill what Hashem wants. This will also give us an insight into a well-known saying of the Gemara based on the Pasuk that says that you should have trust or place your trust what does it mean, says the Gemara? Emunah says, Seder Zroim. This refers to the whole section of Torah that speaks to the halachas surrounding agriculture, and more specifically, Shemamin Bechai Hoilomim that the farmer has absolute faith in Hashem who sustains all of life, and therefore he plants the seed. Now, Afal Pishazanian TV. Planting a seed is a completely natural process. The nature says that after you plant a seed, it will grow. It makes no difference who plants the seed. Whether the person is Jewish or non-Jewish. Even if a seed fell into the ground without any human intervention, the nature is once it's in the ground, it's going to grow. 
Besides that, or beyond that, the way that the Abishta designed the nature of the ground and when you plant things in the ground is, to borrow a phrase from Prashas Noach, the natural systems, they never stop. It's absolutely guaranteed it's going to happen every single time. So a person by rights could just say it's a natural process. You plant it, it grows. Mikol Mokem, nevertheless, says the Gemara Lachre calls there with all of that information and all the scientific knowledge. In Ateva Mekabel Chshivas Utvisus Mokem Bein of Shul Yehudi, a Jewish person does not see nature as a Chatichorui Liskabit that it's got its own identity and its own value. Ki Vakasheru Zareya, when the Jewish person plants a seed, Eno Oses Os Miplei Shapi Ateva Zia Tavilit Smicha, he doesn't do so because he knows the science that if you plant seeds, they then grow. The person plants the seed for only one reason, because he trusts in Hashem, who is the sustainer of all life, and therefore he plants. So that's a completely different attitude. There's no such concept. If Debish wanted it to be, to be through nature, it would be through nature. If he wanted it through something else, it would be through something else. Why am I doing this? Because that's what Debish just said. Now, these are two completely different spiritual psychological states. The difference between these two, two states is it's not just that the one feels trust in Hashem more than the other or has a deeper trust in Hashem than the other. Depending which headspace a person has, that will evolve into a different type of behavior from the person who has a different headspace. Because the first headspace which says, look, that now that Hashem said we've got to use the natural processes. That means the natural processes have value. So therefore, nature actually has significance in this person's life. Then in that person's mind, there's a sense of conflict all the time because there's what I have to do in the in the practical world and there's what I have to do for my Judaism. And so therefore, any time that there might be a clash of interests between what the natural world requires and what my spiritual connection to Hashem requires, or a dogma, for example, if a person is going to extend the time they spend on davening, maybe he's going to miss the opportunity to meet people and make acquaintances in his business. Or alternatively, if he's going to give generously to tzedakah, maybe he'll have less money to invest in his business. Any other similar conflict between what the natural order requires and what the spiritual connection requires, then it's an internal struggle. And Even when the person says, listen, I'm willing to let go of some of what the natural order would seem to demand of me. Because the person is mature enough to realize that at the end of the day, what gives a person brocha is Hashem's brocha. That's where wealth really comes from. And everything else in the natural processes, that's just the channels and the, the garments that you use in order to get there. And therefore, the person actually goes ahead and does Torah Mitzvahs. To arrive at that point took work and it took a battle and it took an overcoming of the natural instinctive responses of the Nefesh Abahamis. It wasn't simple. And who knows what will happen next time? There's always the possibility that next time the Nefesh Abahamis will get the upper hand 
And the person will compromise their Torah mitzvahs for their business or for their health or for their political connections or whatever the case might be. So this person will always be in a state of stress because who knows which way I'm going to go. And I'm going to constantly try to manage a juggle and a conflict in my head. But when a person is in a reality where tase, the fact that you have to go through these particular steps as required by Torah doesn't actually now make those steps significant in my life. Why am I doing these steps? Because that's what Abish just said. It's not because they mean something to me. It's because what Abish just said. Or whatever it is. There's no conflict because when I'm working, I'm serving Hashem because that's what Hashem wants me to do. So in this person's reality, all of their actions and all of their ways are not distinct from the other part of those statements, which is all your actions should be directed towards Hashem. It's not hard. They're naturally directed towards Hashem. That's the only reason I do these actions. In all your ways you should know Hashem. Obviously I know Hashem because all my ways reflect my connection to Hashem. The essence, and not only the essence, but the complete reality of every single move that this person makes is connection to Hashem, awareness of Hashem. There's no stress in their life. There's no conflict in their life. Because in that person's reality there is no alternative but what Hashem wants. So the other guy had a conflict between what the world expects and what the Torah expects. This person doesn't have that conflict. It's this mitzvah versus this mitzvah. The two mitzvahs are not in conflict. To the contrary, one mitzvah will only let draw me to more mitzvahs. So it's only going to enhance my spiritual experience. So these are two totally different psychological, spiritual states for people to be in. If we see a world that we have to use in order to connect to Hashem, and then we have mitzvahs to connect to Hashem, how do you juggle? When we see that the entire reality is just about connection to Hashem, every step along the way is taking me where I need to go. So there is no conflict. Now here's the chap. These, these distinctions, they don't immediately manifest in what can be seen in practice. They start with very subtle things. Because as we well know, the Yetzirah doesn't come brash in our face and say, let's do something contrary to what Hashem wants. Rather, the Yetzirah will start with something that is so subtle you can barely detect it. Uh, hair's breadth. Right at the beginning of the Yitzhahara's project. The Yitzhahara starts off with a very serious look on his face saying, I absolutely agree that your investment in the physical experiences of this world should not conflict with your Torah Mitzvahs. Absolutely. The only thing Yetzirah says is don't forget that the Torah also considers the natural processes to be relevant. That's how he starts. Give it a bit of time. So if so, if who says dark iker, eventually the Yetzirah worms its way into our brain and says, hey, hang on a second, you know, Torah gives value to the natural order, so you really have to prioritize the natural order. So please don't dive in too long that you might miss your first meeting of the day or give too much to Docker that you might not be able to invest in your business. 
As the Friedrich Rebbe famously explains the saying of the Gemara, this is the craft, the, the, the profession of the Yetzirah. Today he tells you do X and then he tells you do Y until eventually God forbid Avoy Says the Friedrich Rebbe, the Yetzirah is far too smart than to initially coax a Jew into doing something that goes against their own innate nature, that the Jew would never want to contravene what Hashem wants, so the Yetzirah can't propose it. Rather, the Yetzirah's approach is do something positive. The Yetzirah says, I think it's a good idea for you to learn Torah, and it's a good idea for you to do mitzvahs. You need to have my hechshem. And the Yetzirah even explains with all beautiful rational explanations that even the Nefesh Bahamis and the Yetzirah could relate to. This is good for you. It's really important. You've got to keep the mind fresh. You've got to keep connected to your Jewish heritage or whatever particular argument the Yetzirah will use. And by doing so, the Yetzirah has now injected himself into the experience of Torah and Mitzvahs and now he's there. And it's now subtly created a reality where we now expect that we have to have the Yetzirah's stamp of approval on everything that we do spiritually. And then once the Yetzirah is in there and has infected the system, it's hacked into the system, so it now creates the possibility that at any time it could lead the person completely astray, literally to the absolute nth degree. So now how do you fight that? How do you ensure that never happens? The only way to be guaranteed to be immune to the Yetzirah's attacks is that can never be achieved by building a Judaism that is purely rational. Because the rational approach has to consider that the natural reality is, is something worth bringing into the picture. The only way to protect ourselves from the Yetzirah is by complete sub- submission and surrender to the point of sacrifice for what Hashem wants the Mailimitava does completely beyond what our minds can process. To reach a point where really there is nothing else to consider except what Hashem wants and says. Zehu. Which is, by the way, which takes us back to what Hasidah said, the difference between the two possible approaches of trusting in Adam, which is Adam HaElyon, versus which is complete connection to Hashem at a way that is beyond anything that could make sense. If our entire experience of Judaism is limited only to the experience of so-called Adam Ha'elian, Memalei Kol Omen, a calibrated, rational interaction between Hashem and His world. Which would reflect in human service of Hashem as a rationally based service of Hashem. Then, then you have to consider the natural order. Because in the Memalei Kol Omen structure, everything has a place, including the natural order. 
Whereas when a person has the higher level of trust, which is a trust Hashem, that Hashem is absolutely and fundamentally beyond the entire system. Which would translate in human terms into a complete surrender to Hashem that is beyond anything that makes any rational sense. Well, from that perspective, the natural systems actually don't occupy space and they don't actually have value. But as mentioned before, that when the person goes through the various steps that are part of how you do things naturally, they don't actually hold value in the person's eyes. The person wouldn't even use the expression of saying, there's somebody helping me or there's a system that's helping me. This is Hashem. This is Hashem's system. And that explains how it is and why it is that in order to prepare for the Geula Shlema, we have to reach the point, no sense of considering the value of the natural processes. Because in that time, just before Mashiach, the, the pretense that nature actually has value will be completely removed. And all you'll see is that nature itself is absolute godliness, can't be predicted, can't be replicated in a laboratory. All the experts in the world don't see it coming. It's out of their control. And therefore, at that time, the way that we interact with Hashem and with our world will be We won't have to rely in any way on the natural processes, on any people, even Jewish people, which is very similar to the principle that Hashem not only provides for us, but he even gives us the keli to contain his bruchas. So, with this insight, that is the unique and substantial difference, exponential difference between seeing the world as real and used to serve Hashem versus seeing the world as Hashem himself just manifesting in a somewhat different appearance. We can now understand why this haftar is linked to Pashas Bolak, specifically to the end of the parasha. Because what's the end of the parasha? The end of Pashas Balak after the failure of Bilam to try and curse the Jewish people is the sin of Baal Poer, where the Midianite women come and they seduce the men and then they produce the Baal Poer idols and they say, right, if you want to go any further, you've got to accept or, or, or involve yourself in service of Baal Poer. Valkar, Shamsis Nefesh, Pinchas, and who and how did they stop this Avera and fix the Avera? You needed somebody like Pinchas who behaved in a way that put his own life on the line, which is complete mysterious nefesh, because that's the only way you stop this in its tracks. Lavur B'Chassidus, Chassidus explains that Balpur was a very strange kind of Avodah Zorah. Shashor Shchet Balpur, where did it come from? So what was the nature of the strange thing? They would actually cause themselves to have bowel movements as the way to serve the Savoy Dezara, which sounds to us absolutely bizarre. So Hasidus says, where does that come from? How could, like, why would anybody want to have such a thing? So Hasidus explains that the spiritual origin of this kind of thinking that led to this bizarre practice is when people give so much priority to physical pleasures, which effectively are the waste product of the spiritual hierarchy. 
So Now you got to ask yourself, how would a thinking person who is endowed with a neshama give so much value and priority to something which is ex- essentially the waste product of the spiritual universe? Well, the first step towards that is you believe that nature actually has a, a voice, actually has a place. The next steps from that is that a person becomes completely submerged in the physical reality and in the pleasures of the physical, and then everything falls apart. That will also help us understand why it is that Chazal tell us when it comes to the atonement for the sin of Balpoir, that it's an ongoing atonement that's going to continue all the way until Tchiyas Amesim. The complete excision of this kind of Avera, this kind of Avodah this investment and indulgence in the physical reality, is only you, Rakli Yosidlov. It's only going to be purified and corrected in the time of Mashiach. At the point when nature is completely reworked and redefined and refined, to the point that you can see that nature equals God, nothing else. Naturally, if we could see that nature equals God in us, obviously and naturally we're not going to overinvest in the physical reality. And that's why, how did the Jews get to be cleared of the Savera Through Pinchas and his Messias Nefesh. What kind of a serious nefesh is it? Even the Torah says you don't tell somebody to have this serious nefesh. It is so beyond the regular kind of rational avoider that you can't even speak about, you can't even advise somebody to do it. But that didn't bother Pinchas at all. He took his life in his own hands because, as we well know, if Zimri had decided to kill him in self-defense, that would have been acceptable. He took his life in his own hands to stand up, to clarify that this is what we do, that this is what the Ebishter wants, and that's how you get rid of the Balpur mentality. This is a Messias Nefesh that is not only beyond conventional logic, it's even beyond holy logic. But commonly, as we said before, that it's specifically when a person reaches that level of absolute surrender, which is completely beyond anything rational, even the spiritual, holy, rational mind, then you reach a point where you're safe and immune from creating a split between the natural reality and the divine reality. And of course, from that split would come all the, the stress and the conflict and eventually misbehavior. That even when you look at the Pasuk that says Hashem will bless you and everything that you do, you're able to recognize what you do is exactly the same as Torah Mitzvah. It's another means of serving Hashem. It is not a fractured reality. And that will help us understand why this episode occurs just as they're about to enter Eretz Yisroel. As we already identified, when and where were the Jews when these events unfolded? On the brink of entering Eretz Yisrael. That's incredibly relevant. Because as long as they were in the desert, they had the man that came flying down at them every single morning, fresh delivery from the heavens. Meaning, on Oganesis, they lived a miraculous lifestyle. 
there was no way in that miraculous environment that they could land up with a mistaken perspective that that human endeavor is going to make a difference to the outcome. They never entered their mind. The Pasuk tells us clearly, if a person collected extra mon, they didn't land up with extra. And if a person had too little mon, they weren't short. And as we well know, there was only enough mon for that one day. Which meant they had to have absolute trust in Hashem for the next day. Every single day, absolutely. So in that environment, they were protected from the fractured world of nature versus Torah. But once they would enter into Eretz Yisroel. And now they would have to take on the normal lifestyle of living in a regular inhabited environment. Then, before they get there, we've got to tackle the issue of the danger, the threat of Baal We had to get the message clearly through to the people that even though now you're going to start a natural way of living, you have to know that even in that natural environment, don't take the nature too seriously. Don't give it the sense of it being a power in your life. Don't trust people. They needed to know that the that nature is not in any way independent of Hashem. And living in Israel running their own fields or their own shops or their own businesses, they had to have exactly the same kind of bitochen they had in the desert, knowing they're only going to get what Hashem allocates, not a drop more, not a drop less. This is a direct lesson for us living in those last moments before God, before Geula. As we prepare ourselves to enter Eretz Yisrael under the leadership of Mashiach. Even though we're living in a doubled and a redoubled darkness of Golos. In a world which is completely the opposite of what some people would like to describe as the beginning of Geula. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. We can see this happening clearly in the world around us. But because we know that everything about the time of Gula is completely contingent on our efforts and how we serve Hashem during the Golos, especially in our times, we're living at a time where the final preparations for Gula have been made. As the Frida Kerber would say, the Mashiach standing just behind the wall. And the Frida Kreber famously said, those walls of Golos are on fire. They're burning down. So we have to be in this headspace of at least something of that attitude of absolute trust in Hashem and nothing and no one else. Each of us individually in how we serve Hashem. We should place no value in the natural process per se, but rather, we should have absolute, unwavering, almost irrational, complete trust in Hashem. That will rescue each of us from our anxieties and stresses. 
Because as long as everything we're doing in serving Hashem through the normal means, eating, running a business, uh, connecting with the leadership of our communities, whatever it is that we're doing, is simply a means of serving Hashem, because that's what Hashem wants. Then there can't be any stress. Can't be anxiety-provoking. Because all that you have to worry about is that I'm doing what they wish wants. I don't have to worry about the outcomes. To worry about, I'm doing what they wish wants. And that personal geula experience, which is accessible to every single one of us, that opens the channel for the ultimate geula through Mashiach. Until we reach that ultimate day of the never-ending Shabbos, which of course is a time, what's Shabbos? When you don't have to worry about the stresses of the daily experience. Mitzvah Hashem, that should happen. Take care, umiyad mamash.